The scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Good morning, everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed the summer of going through the book of James. Today is our last Sunday. Don't you wish the summer wasn't over, that this wasn't the last Sunday of the summer? Well, you probably do wish summer wasn't over, but it probably has very little to do with (laughs) James, but uh, it has been a good journey together. It seems appropriate to me that we end our series on Labor Day weekend. This is a weekend that's historically about celebrating the achievement of workers. Seems like an appropriate time to finish off looking at a letter in the Bible that teaches us various ways that our works reveal our faith. Faith works. And James's super practical letter uh, ends as it began and as it all was all the way through. His conclusion is calling us to some very practical advice. He calls us eight times to the practical work of faith. Pray, 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 pray. Prayer was and is and probably always will be one of the most mysterious yet significant works of our faith. The idea that the God of all creation not only invites us into relationship with himself, to communicate with God and God with us, but also that our very prayers somehow make a difference. Not only in the world, but somehow even in the way that God himself works in the world. In fact, I've heard many Christians from a variety of traditions tell people that if they weren't healed when they prayed, If they didn't receive what they had asked for, it is because their faith was too weak. That their sin of doubt and lack of faith is why uh, they remain sick. And scripture does give us some language around a correlation between our faith and the effectiveness of our prayer. Uh, In addition to the scripture we heard read for us today, 
the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James also wrote in chapter 4, verse 3, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on pleasures. And in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, James writes, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Jesus himself uh, gives us, uh, suggests this connection between uh, our, the, the measure of our faith uh, and um, prayer achieving what it seeks. In uh, Matthew 21, verse 21. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. But to have a fuller, a truer understanding of prayer Uh, We cannot simply pull these verses and others like them out of the context of the full narrative of Scripture. Throughout Scripture, there are actually many more stories of God working even when people are afraid, even when people have doubts or are living in ways that goes against God's desires and God's commands. Yet God in miraculous ways Sorry, yet God, not because of their level of faith, but because of his faithfulness, he intercedes in miraculous ways. There are more of these sorts of stories than there are where God's work appears to be dependent on the people's faith. And there are also more stories of people of great faith who do not receive what they had prayed for. The most obvious example of this to me is found in the second letter uh, to the Corinthian church. This is where Paul writes that he has what, what he calls a thorn in the flesh, and he had prayed three times, pleading with God that he would be healed, yet God's response was to not heal him. Instead, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Praying is about knowing God, about knowing the sufficiency of God's grace that goes infinitely beyond the insufficiency of our faith. It is about our desires aligning with God's goodness, our motives aligning with God's purposes, our living aligning with God's resurrection life. The Bible is not the story of people of perfect faith, but more the story of a bunch of really messed up, imperfect people bearing witness to the God of all of creation who not only invites them into the beautiful work he is doing, but who is faithful and faithfully present even when they are faithless. And their bearing witness invites us into the same story. And this is actually why James gives us uh, this odd example of Elijah. Let me read it again. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
So here, the Old Testament prophet Elijah prays earnestly, which in the original Greek, uh, this is actually the same word for prayer is used twice, just in different forms. So it means that he prayed with prayer or he prayfully prayed. Now, one reason why I think this is kind of an odd example for James to use is that in the Old Testament account of this story, Elijah didn't actually pray. He didn't stop to pray, or at least it's not recorded. So it's kind of odd to use this as an example of prayer. The other reason it's an odd example is James's main point in even sharing it. James wants us to know that Elijah is a human being just like us, even as we are. His point is that the prayer of one who is no different than us was effective in causing the rain to stop and then the rain to fall. But Elijah, he was not only a prophet of God, but if we are to believe the Old Testament story, he is the only person in history of the world who never died. When his time on earth had come to an end, a chariot of fire and horses appeared and Elijah flew in a whirlwind up to heaven. (laughs) So not exactly falling in the category of just like us. Well, that is my plan. I I expected that's going to happen to me, but but it's not just like you. That's not your story. (laughs) Just kidding. Whether we cannot really understand why James would use Elijah as an example, his point remains true and consistent with most of Scripture. Whether God's answer to prayer is or isn't what we wanted, it is not about being a superior person of faith, for God answers the prayers of those who are human beings just like us. Now, this point does get confused when we misunderstand the verse before When James says in verse 16, the prayers of the righteous person, it seems to us to be saying that the prayers of, you know, the person with a perfect, righteous, pure faith. But the word righteous here is not meant to set those of us who are more spiritual apart from those of us who are less spiritual. It is meant to distinguish the difference between people It is not meant to distinguish a difference between people who have a superior faith to those who have an inferior faith. The righteous person here simply means that anyone who is in Christ, any human called righteous is called so only by the righteousness of Jesus that is imparted to them by Jesus. The prayer of the righteous person, being a human being even as we are, is James painting a picture of a normal human being who calls Jesus Lord. Which I'm thankful for, because I definitely fall into that category. Now, whether God's answer to prayer is or isn't what we wanted, is not about being a superior person of faith. For God answers the prayers of those who are human beings like us. It doesn't require perfect faith. And with, as with Paul's example, God not answering the prayer the way we want isn't and doesn't mean our faith is too small. The closest thing we have to the Bible giving us a measure of faith that is required for God to answer prayers is in Luke 17. Verse 6, where Jesus Uh, Sorry, where Jesus says, 
If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed. So the smallest of all seeds is how much faith is required. His point is very small. Now, writing of Paul's not being healed, a commentary, Douglas Moo writes this. When we pray, our faith recognizes explicitly or implicitly the overruling providential purposes of God. We may at times be given insight into that will, enabling us to pray with absolute confidence in God's plan to answer as we ask. But surely these cases are rare. More rare even than our subjective desires would lead us to suspect. A prayer for healing then must usually be qualified by a recognition that God's will in the matter is supreme. And it is clear in the New Testament that God does not always will to heal the believer. Another author uh, of uh, of the book, The Struggle of Prayer, Donald Bloch writes, The efficacy, efficacy is a fancy way of saying effectiveness. The effectiveness of our prayers is tied to the discretion of God. He will answer the prayers of the faithful, but he will answer in his own way and in his own time. The effectiveness of our prayers is tied to the discretion of God. But, you know, that's too messy. That's too inconsistent. Too mysterious, too inconceivable. We want to make everything fit into nice, neat categories, orderly systems where A causes B causes C, and then to try to fit God into it once we figure that out. So we read passages like verse 15, where James says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. We read these and we decide for this to be reasonable, it must be methodological. Believe it or not, I actually practice saying that word and I still can't do it. Methodological and formulaically reproducible. So if prayer offered in faith makes a sick person well, then one can conclude that if a person isn't made well, the prayer didn't have enough faith for the formula to work. Prayer and faith equals sick, healed. Therefore, sick, not healed, equals not enough faith. So, you know, for healing to work, if it didn't work once, perhaps you need, you know, a measure more of trust. Perhaps 10% more wrinkles in your forehead. Increase your grunting by two decibels. Perhaps throw in some kneeling and a sprinkle of ground-up unicorn horn for good measure. Christians for centuries have been trying to find the right formulas for, to make prayer work. And when something seems to work, when God does some work in response to prayer, we grasp onto it and we try to reproduce it. Whether it's been an encounter with God that happened at the site of a relic, which is like the body of a dead saint or a cloth thought to be Jesus' burial robe or a painting of Mary flowing tears, or it being what's called slain in the spirit at a Benny Hinn show, or what most people in our tradition might be familiar with, 
Neil Anderson's steps to find victory over the darkness. In each of these things, and in, in, these are only examples of many, many places where God has worked and then we've tried to make them into a formula, people have genuinely met with God and experienced God's work, whether physical healing, emotional, mental, spiritual healing, and freedom. However, in each of these things, we see the human tendency to want to replicate what was an authentic experience of God. And this leads people from genuine, organic replication to contriving systems for duplication and ultimately towards human works-based fabrication. It's a progression from, wow, God did this amazing thing, and it happened in such and such a way when I prayed this and that, to God did this when I did such and such, so perhaps it's worth a try you doing such and such as well. And then, though, it starts to slide into, well, if you want that, you have to do this. You have to say this exact prayer, this exact formula. And so we move from being amazed by the movement and the healing of God to creating formulas that we think will force God's hand to do something. And of course, if God doesn't do what we want him to do, the person praying is blamed to have either done it wrong, so the blame is on them, or God is a liar and he just doesn't care, so the blame is on God. Instead of placing the blame on our making formulas, putting formulas in the place of God. But as Blosch wrote, healing is a gift of God. It is not the automatic result of human technique, even if this goes under the name of prayer. In the prayer for healing, we do not seek to manipulate the divine power. Instead, we relinquish the afflicted person into God's hands. I think God wants to say to us, thinking your techniques and your formulas are what brings about healing or it forces me to bring it about it in your way, that comes from your brokenness. That comes from you missing the point, from missing who I am and who you are and thinking this comes from sin. It's not your rules and your formulas, your incantations and your enchantments. It's my love it's your love. It's you calling out to me and me calling out to you. So do not worry. Even in the sin of putting your trust in enchantments and formulas and not in me, even in this, my love covers a multitude of sins. And your love, even when sometimes misplaced, your love covers a multiple of sins too, a multitude of sins too. Author of the book, Healing Through the Centuries, Ronald Kidd, he writes that the goal of prayer is to obtain God himself. Prayer in all of its forms and whatever comes from it is ultimately and always about our relationship with God. And it's not just our personal relationship with God, but our communal relationship with God. Which then, of course, God being the eternally relational trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit, it means that our prayer, we're all firstly about the flourishing of our loving and trusting relationship with God, is intrinsically and inescapably 
also about the flourishing of our relationships with others and with all of creation. And so while we are wrestling with the mathematics of how prayer does and doesn't work, God is simply longing for us to draw near to him, bringing our desires and our longings, and bringing others along with us through prayer, with and for them, through confession and inward and outward forgiveness of others. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that these prayers and these books and these places and these experiences haven't been used by God for amazing things. I'm simply saying that it is God who works through them by his own grace and his own discretion, not by the works of the prayers themselves. And it is God who works through them by his own grace and discretion, not because we are amazing. And when they don't work, it is not because we suck or that God doesn't care or that we've prayed them wrong. It is not God, but the enemy of lies seeking to discourage us and destroy our mustard seeds of faith that tells us these lies. There always needs space to be space for God to be God and for us to stand in the mystery of knowing, in the mystery of unknowing, holding on to the hope that regardless, God is a God of grace and love. And as James just told us three verses before today's passage, he is a God of compassion and mercy, not a God of legalism and ritualism. Additionally, I am not critiquing the place of praying prayers, prayfully praying the prayers that others have written. I think God loves when we are genuine and honest, praying from the deepest recesses of our own hearts and minds. And when the praises and prayers come anew from within us. But I also think God loves the prayers that when we do not know what to say or how to pray, when our own thoughts and our own heart's desire is out of reach and ungraspable, that even while the Holy Spirit is interceding for us through wordless groans, that through the prayers of others, we are able to give voice to our own wordlessness. Feeling the lack of my own words to this, feeling like this talking about prayer requires a depth of poetry that I do not have. I want to share something from an Irish theologian and poet whose name is Padraig Otuama. And this, here he's writing about when Jesus died on the cross. Otuama writes this, Into your hands, Jesus said, reciting from the 22nd Psalm, words that many said at night. In his prayer, we hear the interplay between form and freedom and the space between them. In ways in which form and freedom feed each other, helping us enjoy the art of prayer when the art is available, helping us put old rhymes to our cries when the art of life seems cruel. These prayers of others can be powerful, but not because they contain a magical element that forces God's hand, but only when and because they speak the deep truth that we do not have the art to put our own words to. When the Holy Spirit gives voice to our deep groanings through the communion we share in the voices of others.
Once again, we see the relational piece of prayer here. Our relationship with God, our longings and our desires, even when we do not have the words to speak, the thoughts to think, they can be given voice and lifted to God in authentic prayer through the voices of others. An interweaving of the communion we share, our personal journey, and the enduring presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is why when James speaks of praying for healing, thinking practically like he always is, he tells us to pray for one another, to pray with one another. He tells us to go to the elders of the church to be anointed and prayed for. He tells us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another for healing. He tells us to reconcile those who wander off the pathway of truth, bringing them back into the community and the communion of those where healing and forgiveness can be found and offered. Our relationship with God is not and never has been a solo sport. Healing and forgiveness, yes, even forgiveness of sins, can be most profoundly experienced in the community of trustworthy followers of Christ. Now, I say trustworthy because while I believe in the deep healing that can be experienced through God when we confess our sins to another and to hear the words of forgiveness spoken over us by another human being, while I do believe this can be beautiful and powerful and I do believe that James is calling us to do that, it is imperative that it is done with someone who is safe and trustworthy. For someone who is unhealthy themselves can end up causing more hurt uh, than healing. So we need to be cautious and wise, but we also need to listen to this challenge. And this, I think, this trustworthiness is also part of why James encourages people to go to the elders. The elders were people who were spiritual leaders, who were recognized in the community for their maturity in the faith and who had proven themselves to be safe and trustworthy with their broken and hurting people in the community. If you do not know someone who is trustworthy, who can be trusted, James is saying, go to the elders. They are recognized as trustworthy spiritual leaders of maturity. Now we are fortunate at Spring Garden to have an elders board who I think do fall into this category. Spiritual leaders who are recognized for maturity of faith and trustworthiness. In fact, they are currently working to make sure that everyone in our community is being prayed for on a regular basis by name. Most of this prayer they will be doing in their own personal prayer time on their own. And if you would like one of the elders to be praying for you by name in this way, uh, please let us know. But also, if you would like the elders to pray for you not only on their own, uh, but to pray with you in person, whether on the phone or Zoom or in a safe, physically distanced meeting, uh, please also let us know that as well. Now, of course, this being said, well, James encourages to go to the spiritual leaders in our community for prayer. He also encourages all to pray for one and with one another. To say that we should only and always go to the spiritual leaders for healing prayer is to lose sight yet again of James's point. All of us are called to prayer, and all of us, average human beings, have equally significant prayers. 
And so we are all called to pray, to seek God, to foster our relationship with him, and to invite and walk alongside others into and as part of that relationship. Now to close, uh, as the team uh, worship band comes back up, I just lost my book. To close, once again, um, finding myself unable to take hold of what I want to leave with you, I'm going to leave you with uh, some more words from Padraig Otuama from his book called Daily Prayer. I've heard it said that prayer is not an art, it is a cry. I liked that thought for a while, especially when I thought that form was a form of constriction and that the breath of prayer needed to be free. But breath has form. In fact, breath is form, the fundamental rhythm by which we live and breathe and have our being. God's breath is over the chaotic waters, we read. Our breath is in the chaotic body, and we hope might have a touch of the holy about it too. Breath like a prayer is a cry. Breath like prayer can also be an art. Prayer is a small fire lit to keep cold hands warm. Prayer is a practice that flourishes both with faith and doubt. Prayer is asking and prayer is sitting. Prayer is the breath. Prayer is not, al- prayer is not an answer always because not all questions can be answered. Prayer can be a rhythm that helps us make sense in times of senselessness, not offering solutions, but speaking to and from the mystery of humanity. No prayer is perfect. There is no system of prayer that is best. There is only the person praying, the person kneeling, the person walking with beads between their fingers, the person cursing God or gloom or fate or whatever it is that seems to be not listening. Henry Nouwen said that, not, said that the only way to pray is to pray. The only way to try is to try. So the only way to pray well is to pray regularly enough that it becomes a practice of encounter. No prayer is hollow, whether it is answered in one way or the silent way. To name the night is to be like God, speaking light to formless voids, putting rhythm and rhyme to the pell-mell that compels us. To pray is to trace the edge of chaos and to find a way to contain it, not control it. Even if the story we pray is only a fiction, it might be fiction that will save us. Or it might change us. To pray is to imagine. And in imagining, we may imagine that we are imagined by something bigger. God, the bigness, or sometimes the smallness. God of gods, light of lights, story of stories, in whom our chaos and creation are contained. Holy, holy, Holy human.